Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And that is by Jack Canfield. And when you listen to this entire podcast, especially the last part at the end about taking risks and being willing to quote unquote fail in order to eventually succeed, you'll know why I picked this one. So hello again and welcome to The Profitable Photographer. As always, this is Lucy and I'm excited about our next guest because this is an area that I've not really understood and I hope it uh, helps people who are already doing real estate photography or possibly it might help somebody start a new income stream. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to go to lucydumas.com and either grab my gift under the gift tab or the ebook, and that will put you in my email. And the value of that is that I have some great things coming out. I have an online course. I'll be doing a five-day challenge, whether you're listening to this in February 2020, or you're listening to it a year from now. I'm always sharing some good stuff in my email. I promise not to spam you like crazy, but I do want to keep you informed. And I also love it if you join my Facebook group, which is The Profitable Photographer. It's a private group and or The Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas page. So be on the lookout for those. And so I want to tell you a little about Tom. Tom Virgilettis is the founder and CEO of TV Photography. It's a highly profitable Massachusetts-based real estate photography and videography company. Ever since building the six-figure photography business, Tom has developed a passion for teaching others the things that he's learned from years of experience, training, and trial and error. He has his own show, and you can hear me on that. <laughs> Little shameless plug for Lucy Dumas. His show is called the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast, and you can locate that on Anchor, on Spotify, on Apple, and I imagine other places. And his book is the same name with Tom Bergaletta. So you can search that on Amazon. So welcome, Thomas or Tom. And thank you so, so much for being on my show today. Thank you, Lucis. Tom is fine. So that's your preferred? Yeah, generally I go by Tom, yeah. Good. And Vargiletis is a good Greek name. So we also want to say Opa to, to Tom. <laughs> so I know that you are the king of real estate photography. You have an amazing podcast, as I mentioned. So I'm just going to start with, you know, tell me about real estate photography. Give me a picture of what you do. Uh, sure. You know, it's, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I'm the king of real estate photography. It's, you are in my mind. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, yeah, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. It's very flattering. 
I mean, if I were to size my business up against others, the output isn't particularly amazing compared to what other people are doing, but the system that I've built to accommodate a high volume of uh, real estate photo shoots coming in, getting edited and, and sent out the door. If I were a king of anything, it would be that. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be photography in general. But you know, I, I guess like if if you're not really super familiar with the niche of real estate photography, and there's an important distinction to make here between real estate and architectural photography. Architecture is like high end designer shoots, stuff for magazines for architects and builders to have in their portfolio. Uh, much higher standard and and much more expensive. Real estate photography, when we say real estate photography here, especially in the United States and other countries, it's different. Like in the UK, they'll say property photographer. But here, it's just real estate, property, listings, houses that are going for sale. Usually, it's being listed and sold by a real estate agent. And you know, photography has always been important in real estate, but especially now that all buyers are starting their home search online. The photos are super important for a real estate listing. If the house is great, but the photos aren't really displaying how good the house is or how desirable it is or how you know interesting certain features of the house might be, the buyers are just going to pass over it. They're going to see the photos and they're going to say, okay, whatever. It's a crappy looking house. Uh, so real estate agents understand the importance of high quality real estate photography. And that's what it is. We go out, we take pictures of houses, and we deliver them to the real estate agents. Real estate agents primarily are our customers. Occasionally, we'll have uh, Airbnb listings and sellers will call us direct. But for the most part, our, our clients are real estate agents. Okay. Thanks for that distinction. So if you could tell me three things I would need to know to get started as a real estate photographer that would set me up to be able to grow and be highly profitable. Can you share three things? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. You gave me a list of three things. I'll try to stick to that, but I, or, or I, five. I, I might, I might run off on a tangent. We'll, we'll see. Okay. We'll see how, how neat we can keep it. And, and so I'm saying this because first, I mean, that's, that's really important. And, and you could probably narrow it down to like a couple key things to get into real estate photography. But first, Let's talk about why you would even think about this in the first place. So not every photographer shoots real estate. And when I think about that, my the first question that comes to mind is why? Why not? Real estate photography is one of those niches that it's super low barrier of entry for a photographer, mm-hmm. meaning you don't need the best equipment. You don't need the, the most sophisticated skills. You don't need the best technology ever in the world and you can produce high quality real estate photography and you can get a large volume of appointments because it's a, it's very much a high volume business if you know how to go out and get the business right. so if you're a wedding photographer or a landscape photographer or you do family portraits or maybe you're working full time and you like taking pictures on the side adding real estate photography into your skill set is going to be huge in the long run it's going to put money in your pocket at the end of the day. And if you're 
in a niche in photography, like let's say you do weddings mostly on the weekends, this is going to be a way for you to add a couple hundred dollars every week, all year, just about to the bottom line of your business, or just to fill in those gaps in your schedule. Or like I said before, maybe you're working or you're a hobbyist. Learning real estate photography is a great way to fund your passion projects because you can take income from your photography while you're learning and practicing. It's just a great genre of photography to get into. And now in my business, that's all we do. And I've built up a team over time. And uh, you know, I'm paying my mortgage, car bills, travel, living expenses, everything with photography. So you could even make it your primary source of income uh, like I have turned into a career. So that's why if you're not currently a real estate photographer, you might want to think about it because I mean, if you are listening to this podcast, you're definitely someone who needs money. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, you bought the phone and the cell phone service or, or the internet that you're listening to this on, right? You need money and you can get a lot more of it if you, uh, branch into other niches in photography. In real estate, it, it should be a no-brainer. If you're already a photographer, you know your way around the camera. So you mentioned that you don't need much equipment. What would be right. like a, a must-have, like a minimum that somebody would need to get started? Sure. So I, I think I already said this. You, you don't need the best. Right. But what uh, by specifically? Far. And, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll share what you were using because there's so much gear out there. This is not like you have to exactly copy what I'm using or what anyone's using. But if you find it's functional equivalent, what you need is a tripod, a camera, a way of triggering your tripod, and a flash, and a way of triggering your flash wirelessly. Right, And that's, a memory card and a computer. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, the obvious extras that go yeah. on, you know, batteries and cables and carrying case. Yeah, obviously. Transportation, <laughs> clothes, stuff, right. clothes, shoes. <laughs> yeah, as, as far breakfast. as like camera equipment goes, it's, it's very bare bones. For the lens, you just want something really wide with minimal distortion. And, uh, you know, depending on the format you're using, you'll, you'll want to... Uh, do a little math with whatever your crop factor is to figure out how wide you can actually get. Mm -hmm. uh, we're using, I'll just go through what I'm using right now. So I'm, I'm, my kit right now is the Panasonic GH5 with a uh, Laowa 7.5 mil lens. It's, uh, I think it goes to two, it's a prime lens. It goes to 2.8, I believe. The flash I'm using is an AD400 Pro. And uh, I'm using the, it's a Godox 8400 Pro. I'm using the Godox X Pro trigger. And then I, I have a little, uh, on a shutter release cable, some wireless Young Nuo RF something, <laughs> RF603C, some, some weird, it's a little $20 wireless trigger. Okay. That's the kit that I'm using now. The kit that I originally, that I started using was the GH4 and the AD200 and the Young Nuo Trigger. So very, very similar setup. Neither of these cameras are new. Neither of these cameras were new when I bought them. And neither of them were even the best camera that money could buy when they came out new, the years that mm -hmm. they came out. Right. Uh, but I'm using these cameras specifically because it's Micro Four Thirds image sensor. So with the crop sensor, I get really wide depth of field. Everything's sharp and in focus. 
it's small and compact, easy to carry. Image resolution is just fine for real estate. Like it doesn't need to be the greatest camera ever as long as it can do a decent enough job. The rest is in the photographer's hands. Okay. So tip number one, if I can summarize, is it's a great way to put some extra money in your pocket. So why not? Number mm -hmm. two is you don't have to have a lot of equipment. You need a tripod, a lens, a camera, a flash, and some way to fire it. Or <laughs> in my case, to keep it really simple, to know how to use my, um, my timed release. Your timer. My Actually, timer. even if you know how to set the timer, I really recommend against it. It's better to just spend the 20 bucks, get the wireless trigger, because in real estate, you end up doing a lot of longer exposures. Uh, Not like, you know, minutes and minutes long, but... Right, 10 seconds or 15 or yeah, not even. I mean, long is in like a second, a half a second. Right. Um, so it has to be on a tripod. Otherwise, it's right. just going to be totally out of focus. Unless, you know, you're running with some brand new camera with like super good image okay, stabilization. What would be the difference with the timer? Just the waste of time wait? Exactly. The waste of time and waiting. What I do is I'll put the trigger in my pocket and I'll face the button out. So while I'm walking, I don't have to touch the camera, the tripod, anything. I just put the light where I want it. And then I just touch the button through my uh, pocket. And, uh, and trigger the camera that way. So I never have to worry about shifting my composition at all or, or shaking the camera while I'm taking a photo or waiting. And that's the other thing is like, if you wait three seconds, five, 10 seconds in between each photo, it's going to make the photo shoot take forever. It's going to add like, it's going to add so much time. Yeah. Even, even if it isn't a time you could actually like be like, oh, look, that was an extra 10 minutes. It probably would feel like it. <laughs> so. It would feel like well, it would realistically it would add maybe ten minutes, but it would feel like it added an hour. Eternal. And how many images do you tend to take, and how many do you deliver? Sure. Well, we take way more than we deliver, and that's because we take a minimum of two photos per final delivered image. We take one just with the uh, ambient light that was there. And then we take one with the flash, mm -hmm. the ambient exposure, we meter the exposure to be, so, so the room itself is properly lit, or at least most of what you want to be properly lit is, you know, for larger rooms, some things might be brighter or darker. Windows sure. usually blown out. Uh -huh. In the flash frame, you expose for the outside. And when I started, I would literally take my camera off the tripod and then uh, with the meter built into the camera, I'd hold it up to the glass and half press the shutter just to see what shutter speed it would tell me. But then once you get the hang of it, uh, you realize that, you know, it, I'd usually do um, like, a, like on the interior, I'll set the, the meter in the camera to be like the multimeter. And then I'll just set it for one stop overexposed for whatever it says in the mm -hmm. room. And then I'll just bump it up to one two fiftieth of a shutter and set the flash power to whatever it seems like the size of the room needs. And then I'll just adjust from there. But doing that, you basically, you set the camera, you take two photos really fast, then you move and take the next one and, and you try and blast through the house as, uh, as quickly, but as efficiently as possible. So I think I can guess your answer given to a little quickie question I have for you, given what you just said. We'll see if I'm right. So my question is, 
why not do HDR so you don't have to bother with the flash? I helped a friend once who did the HDR, and I discovered that in Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw, there's a really fast way to just highlight what you want, click play, and I was able to, probably in 10 or 15 minutes, make 30 great layered images, mm-hmm. but then I needed to open them up in, I love a Nick program, their HDR, NIK. So why not do, you know, three different exposures and sure. mush them together rather than using flash? So there's actually a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that, but brand new real estate photographers usually ignore that advice and just start doing HDR because you know, if you're just starting in real estate photography, you don't have a ton of experience to really compare the results of a HDR versus flash ambient blend. Uh-huh. So a lot of real estate photographers will say, eh, HDR is fine. And honestly, in a lot of cases, it's, it is okay. The biggest issue with HDR is a loss of contrast, basically across the image and a loss of sharpness across the image. Hmm. Um, it can also have some strange effects on, uh, on different colors oh. uh, because houses weren't really designed to be photographed. So yeah. you usually have a lot of competing uh, color contrast and the lighting is super uneven. So even if you set a bracketed HDR, even if you did five brackets at full stop intervals, you're still going to find some areas that were just too underexposed or were just too overexposed. You know, so you you do pull a lot more dynamic range, but not as much as you get when you have like for example, one exposure, let's say uh one fourth of a second or one half of a second where the room is nice and brightly lit and then one at one two fifty sixth of a second or two fiftieth where the now you can see clearly through the windows. When you edit those together, you maintain the proper color, hue, and saturation that you get with the uh, flash. And when you mix in the ambient, you also get the natural ambiance of the the natural kind of uh, shadows that were there, the natural lighting that was there, because you turn your ambient layer into a luminosity mask. We can talk about like how you do yeah, edit let, later. Let's but, not get too technical, uh, Tom, because my uh, eyes my eyes are rolling in the back of my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, okay, so so I'll just summarize it then because I could talk about this forever. I'll just summarize it. Basically you get HDR, the word is high dynamic range, but when you mix a flash and ambient, you get even more dynamic range. You don't distort any of the color or 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 any of the natural contrast that you get with the lighting that's here because hdr makes everything kind of the same exposure when really that's not really what you want right you want to have con uh, high contrast between Got certain it. elements <laughs> okay yeah it's a lot of i mean hdr it, so if, bottom line the image is not as good yeah it's it's okay. but it's still it's still not bad though it's it's so, it's still pretty good uh, as a little like a side for people that I think you also, if I'm hearing right, would run into the challenges that there's different color temperatures and that kind of messes with the overall look. Yes. So the same problem shows up if you are an event photographer and you're photographing inside and you're putting your flash on an auto 
or you're doing a high ISO so you can gather a lot of ambient light. Right. Um, that the the camera, because I will shoot on auto when I'm doing an event at times, but I keep my ISO at 400 because otherwise the equipment thinks we have plenty of light. So then it doesn't put enough flash to have a natural color temperature and override all those weird tungsten and other kind of lights that might be in a right. room. Let's see. Maybe this is tip number four. <laughs> I think that <laughs> okay. last one was three. About, you know, I'm really fascinated with the way that you market. You and I chatted before and you know before this recording. And I just love how successful you are at getting a steady stream. So can you share about that and about yeah, so if you're leaving something out that I was amazed and astounded by, I'll jump in and ask you about that. But so how do you market? <laughs> okay. And how do you qualify the realtors and all that stuff? So let me uh I will set the stage for for your question and share a little bit about about what I'm doing in, in my business right now or, or how we got to this point, I should say. So I, I got into real estate photography as a real estate agent, originally doing photo shoots for my own listings. I realized that I had a product that fulfilled a pretty important demand in the real estate industry, like I mentioned before, how important real estate photography is, how important high quality real estate photography is. Anybody can take photos on their phone. And when I decided I was going to turn this into a business, I took these techniques that we're going to talk about in a second. I used exactly this to, within just a couple months, replace my other sources of income. So I was at the point where I'm like, wow, I can just do this now. I don't have to do anything else at all. So almost overnight, it was a couple months, but almost overnight, I brought the business, put it up on its feet, and and it was rolling. And within the first 12 months, we passed six figures in income. Wow. So I, I just so I say that. Yes, yes. I say that because I want you to know that I'm not just some guy that talks about marketing. This is what I do in my business, and it works. And this is what I teach other real estate photographers to do. In person presentations, physical presentations, either public speaking or one-on-one. -on -one. I prefer public speaking. And in the podcast, I have full episodes on this. So anyone who's interested, you can just search uh, full-time real estate photographer. It's the name of the podcast. Or you can search my name. It's Tom Vargelettis. Probably the other one, the name of the podcast is easier to, to spell. Full-time real estate photographer. Uh, there's a book on Amazon of the same exact name full-time okay. real estate photographer, the same cover images too. And I talk about how to get into this, how to get the presentation, how, what to say, how to conduct your presentation, how to get people to book with you and how to service a client afterwards. I talk, I cover the whole business side of the business as well, not just getting clients, but how to service the customer, how to, how to, uh, uh streamline your sales process and add a lot of automation into your business. We talk about it all, but for most of my clients, not all of them, but just about all of my clients I had gotten from from uh, physical in-person presentations, book my office presentation, I follow up with them afterwards. And when you have a really good product and a great customer experience, people enjoy working with me for reasons that I talk about in the podcast as well. They keep coming back and they refer more clients in. So... Mm. 
almost all of my clients were in-person presentations or referrals to me. And I think the running list of, of people who have I've worked with at least once in the last 12 months is over 700, something wow. like that. So how do you pull a presentation together? Like you, you want to have 20 people in a room. How would you get those 20 people? Yes. There's a, there's a, so okay. There's a few approaches. The best place to start is to find office managers, office administrators, or brokers of the real estate office. Whoever is the broker of record, the, the manager of record, that would be the person to contact. And they're super easy to find. I talk about how to find their phone numbers and their emails and stuff in the podcast and in the book. But I mean, basically it's online. Real estate agents want to be contacted. Their business comes from their personal network, right? The real estate agent's income is commissions from real estate sales and they sell houses of people that they know or that they are in their network. So they, they want to be found. They want to be really easy to find. So you would find real estate offices yep. and talk to the the bosses of those offices. Yeah, basically. I would find I would find a manager. I would find someone who is in charge of their meetings, their their weekly or monthly sales meetings. Most real estate offices will have some sort of meeting on a on a semi regular or or very strict regular basis, and uh, they will usually let. Or even if they don't usually do it, sometimes they'll let you talk them into uh, just coming in and doing a presentation. Sometimes they'll offer to bring pizza or sandwiches or chips or something. I don't know, whatever. If if they're like, yeah, we usually do a lunch and learn. I'll say, great. Then I'd like to uh, I'd like to buy the food and 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 do the presentation. Ah. So yeah, you know, it's like what fifty bucks worth of food, if that. If it's a big office, maybe it's a bit more. But what happens is. Um, you basically are guaranteed to get your presentation if you have, you know, I mean, if, if you offer food, people are going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they don't do regular office meetings, but you say, I'd like to host a lunch and do a presentation. Yeah. They'd say, wow, free food, you're in. Are there social media, Facebook, meetup group yeah, things yeah, that have, work? I, mean, I have them. I have them, but I don't really use them. I do get occasionally I'll get leads from social media. But you wouldn't do like a, I'm having a get together and I'm going to feed you attention realtors and do an ad. Oh, host a meetup like that. No, there's no need to at all. The realtors I, are already getting together on their own. I just got to drive to their office on whatever the day is. Uh, so yeah, you just set up the appointment, you go um, do the presentation and the presentation is based around a portfolio. This is a, this is a key. I mean, you, you're not getting a real estate job if you don't have at least a couple real estate images to show people to, that you have taken to say, look, this is the work that I can do for you. In the podcast, when I talk about uh, setting your presentation up, I also talk about that. And I go at length how to build your portfolio for free and how you can build a real estate portfolio like today. Like, like right now, while you're listening to this podcast, if this is the first time you've heard about real estate photography, you can still right now start working on your real estate portfolio. It's super easy because like how I'm sure I correctly assumed if you're listening to a podcast, you use money. If you listen to a podcast and you use money, you probably also live in a house. And, <laughs> you know, or you know are, someone that does. 
<laughs> exactly. Chances are 99% or greater that you live in a house or know someone that does. Uh, and you can just start practicing. Even if your house is not great, even if you live in a dump, you can still practice the fundamentals and go through the motions of, of you know, setting the camera up, getting your composition, taking your ambient and your, fl- and your flash photo, and then editing them later. Uh, you can practice that right now. And uh, once you get a good, and you don't need a ton, like 10, 12 solid real estate images, you know, some exteriors, couple bathrooms, living, living areas, bedrooms, decks, portfolios, like different features of a house. And, you know, while you're building your portfolio, you're also practicing. And yeah, once, once you have a d- little portfolio of decent uh, images, then you're, you're basically ready to go. You get your presentation, you go to the office, you pull up the, uh, your portfolio. And, and I also talk about, and this is super important, uh, just general levels of preparedness for when you're doing anything in your business, like having backups for your backups. I bring out printed presentations. I, bring it, I record it as a video and I have it as a slideshow and I save it as Google Slides and PowerPoint and in Apple uh, Slides because you never know what right. situation you're going to find yourself. Like sometimes there's a projector or a TV or there's nothing at all, or they say that there is, you show up and then it's not working or something's broken right. or whatever. It's so outdoors. I, yeah. I make the, sure that, grass. <laughs> yeah, it could be weird. I make sure that no matter what I have something for every situation. Uh, so I, no matter what I'm doing my presentation, I'm showing my portfolio and I'm, I'm able to share my prices and, you know, talk to the real estate agents, how important, uh, high quality photography is and how we can make their listings look. That's really helpful. I have two more questions I want to get to before we run out of time. Um, but was there one last something? There was, yeah, there was the, the, the final piece to the, the, the office presentation is when I wrap up, I ask, is there anyone here that has a listing coming up they'd like to book a photo shoot for? And ah. usually I'll get one or two people who raise their hand and books an appointment with me right there on the spot. Wow. Awesome. Um, and if you follow up with people over time, after the presentation, you'll get new appointments from them too. So it, it's not just doing a presentation and then sit and stare at your phone and wait for people to call you. Uh, there's, there's a process. Right. Um, and the process isn't do one presentation and then hope that appointments happen. The process is, is to uh, fill a minimum of, if you're just starting out or you're slowing down and you're like twiddling your thumbs, not sure what to do, at least 50% of that time during that workday or the part of the workday, however many hours you have, 50% of them or more at least should be spent on uh, setting up presentations, doing presentations. And then you just keep doing that. You never stop that. Right. And, and doing follow-ups and staying in touch. And Yes. Uh, yes. Now, so question number one, final question number one, you mentioned when we were kind of getting acquainted with this topic that you, you've learned how to target the successful real estate sales people or mm-hmm. there was something you said about, you know, their, the overall statistic of who's actually selling houses regularly and who sells one a year. So can you share a little about, first of yeah, all, it's, it's that's something most people uh, don't know. Fact. Yeah. This is important information 
unless you know someone who is in real estate or involved directly, it's not super obvious, but your average real estate agent, and, and this is like national average, is only selling like three or four homes a year, right? Which means that there's a huge population of people that sell maybe, that do maybe one deal a year or zero deals a year. And then, you know, there's like a vast majority of people that are, you know, not not doing too much business. And uh -huh. I mean, some people are only working part-time um, and they don't need it as their full-time income. But even with people trying to make their full-time income, real estate sales uh, are still, you know, struggling. So all of those real estate agents that are kind of struggling, which is quite a bit of them. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's, that are doing just fine, obviously. But it's like you have your top performers and then you've got everybody else. So what your average real estate agent wants to do is they want to be like your high performance real estate agent, which instead of, you know, maybe a couple houses a year, or even if you're making a pretty good income, having a, you know, making a decent living, you're listing like one or two houses a month, right? That's what, 24, 30 sales a year, something like that. Yeah. They want to copy what the really big producers are doing. These are people that are listing a new house like once or twice a day. People that are in these huge teams that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of sales every single year. Once they start to do something, everyone else kinds of starts to, to follow and, and tries to copy them. So when I do presentations in new offices, I, I look up the people who I'm talking to and I pay extra close attention to the really high performers in mm. the office. Um, I definitely am not ignoring people who are doing like average sales or, or lower volume of sales, you know, because they're an important part of, of my business as well. But when you land the bigger clients, the other people tend to follow you. Uh, because they say, okay, this agent is making a million dollars a year in commissions and I want to make a million dollars too. So they're using Tom as their real estate photographer. So I'm going to use Tom. So <laughs> right? Tom, I assume then there's somewhere that you can discover how much somebody is making or how many they, listings they have. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The, the, Easiest place to go uh, would be whatever your local MLS is. If okay. you are not a licensed real estate agent, you're probably not going to be able to get that data. Uh, there's other ways of finding it. So if you go on Zillow and you just search for different zip codes, the top one or two agents in those zip codes are going to be your, your bigger agents. You can also look up their profile and see how many recent sales they've had in like the last 12 months, I think. If you see the same real estate agent's face or the team name or whatever and their team photo as the top results in Zillow for like the three or four nearest zip codes to you, and you see they have like 250 recent sales in their pipeline, you know that that's, that's a top producer. Uh, so that person would be a good idea to try and get in front of them. Um, obviously, you need to have the portfolio and the overall image quality that they are going to need too. So right. if you want to work with a you know top performing real estate agent, compare your photos to the photos that they are using, whoever, whatever photographers that they're hiring. If you can do as good or a better job for a similar or a better price, then you're basically doing them a disservice by not presenting your business to them so they don't know that they could call you as an option. 
Okay, I got one last because I know you need to run. So I'm trying to be mindful of your time. I do, um, yeah. So you are not in your business the person who is day after day going house to house and photographing now. You have a team, correct? No, I'm not. So can you tell me about that potential of, of like what it looks like to be at the place you are running this, you know, really effective, profitable business? Yeah, of course. So when I started, it was just me doing everything. And I should also point out, so I've been, I guess you could say a serial entrepreneur for most of my adult life. I've always had a passion and an interest in business, not just photography. I mean, I've been interested in photography, but I've started and failed a lot of businesses. So I've learned how to do these things in other places. So I, I don't want it to sound like I just woke up one morning as like some business guru. Right. It was literally 10 years of like failing and misery uh, of spending every dollar I've saved in my entire life up to that point in time twice uh, before I got to this point. So I just want everyone to know that uh, I'm, I'm just sharing a lot of tips that I've used and picked up from other people over time. So it was just me. I was doing everything, uh, photography, customer service, invoicing. I was doing it all, doing the website, editing. Now it's not quite so much. In fact, I really only have to jump in and do work when things get really busy. So and I'll just give, just give you an example how good the system is. Over this past winter, right now it's it's uh, February 2020, right? In the in the in the winter of 2019 and early 2020, I really only had to work a couple hours a day, and then you know, like just checking in with people, making sure stuff's happening, mm-hmm. realizing oh, there's not really much for me to do today, and then going home. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then and and then not because nothing's happening, but you know, the, the work is just getting done automatically. Uh, so here's the system. Yes. People, clients book online. When I do my presentation, I'm showing them how to go to the website and book online or to go to my calendar link and, and find the calendar to put their appointment right in. Everyone on staff is tied into the same booking app and the booking app will show the clients all of the mutually available time between staff members but they only see one portal. They're not going to see, here's Tom's schedule. Here's Madison's schedule. Here's Vel's schedule. They're just going to see one and it's going to look wide open, even though there's photo shoots booked sun up to sundown. It's just showing mutual available time. So they see the time that they want. They book it. It assigns a photographer, whoever that may be. Photographer shows up, does the photo shoot, takes the files to the office or home or wherever, coffee shop, I don't care. And then they upload the files to our Google Drive and then notify our team in the group chat. The editor gets notification, downloads the raw files, edits, uploads them to the final photos folder, updates the group chat. My admin sees the notification, takes the final edited photos, takes all the appointment details from the calendar event, puts it together, builds a listing website, and then sends out the final invoice and the package with all their files. And that happens without me having to do anything at all. Wow. Like I check in with people and I'm, you know, constantly getting feedback and I'm calling clients and stuff, but I don't really need to. It's more uh, preventative maintenance than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, just making sure that everyone's happy and nothing's slipping through the cracks. This process is entirely automated. A lot of it is run with software 
So the people are just getting notifications. Like when a new appointment comes in, my photographer gets a text message that says, hey, a new appointment was booked. Take a look at your calendar. And he sees it there. So his calendar fills itself out automatically. It's pretty good. So that's amazing. How many photographers do you have? And can you share you know, what a yearly income might be for somebody in a position who set their business up the way that you have it or what your yearly sales for well i mean like i said the first 12 months we passed uh six figures and the year over year growth it's only gone up every single year and as time goes on and the reason why i built the system the way i've built it and and go to the podcast and listen get all the details on how it, it actually works but it's really easy for me to just kind of like tack on a new staff member, you know, just like plug them into the machine and it unlocks like a whole new level of productivity. So, so right now, how many do you have working for you? Yeah. So, so right now there's me, I have a full-time photographer, a full-time admin, a full-time editor. I have two part-time editors and I have three part-time photographers, people that I call as needed. So in the summer months, everybody's busy. And in the winter months, it's really only a couple of people who are working all day, mm-hmm. you know, but the money just keeps on rolling in. It's yeah. pretty good. It's a pretty great lifestyle. Honestly, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone else doing anything, any other business. So it sounds like you paid your dues, Tom, with serial entrepreneur and that you've created your dream job and, and it's only going to get better. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, like I said, I've always had a passion and an interest in business and I've always I've always been really engaged with this idea of running uh, a business and you know, when you're uh at the time, what was I, 22 years old, 23 or whatever I was, uh when you're just a young kid, well, depending on how old you are, you're hearing that and thinking that's not a young kid, kid. But you can't just walk up to someone and say, hey, let me run your company and pay me six figures a year. But you can make the decision, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to run it and I'm going to make my six figures that way. So that was kind of the route that I ended up taking. And and yeah, it was a long time coming. It was like, oh God, uh, you know, a lot of like one step forward, five steps back, starting a business and then immediately failing, losing money, borrowing money. Yeah, it was it was it was hectic. It was nerve wracking. <laughs> uh, I don't recommend anyone going through that. I'd, I'd say just take my advice and just start it off on the right foot. Don't <laughs> yeah. spend the next decade losing money and and eating tuna out of a can uh, plane just because you don't know what else to do. Yeah, but it it sounds like you are the risk reward factor is high. Eventually, that you were willing to take some risks, put yourself out there and figure it out as opposed to being afraid of not making it work and then not doing anything. So I want to thank you so, so much. Do you have time for one last something you need to share? I guess. Yeah, I I should, I should get going right now, but I guess I'd like to also point out that like you said, the risk reward factor, a lot of people are risk averse and would rather not try something new because it's potentially risky. And I, I, I want to point out like, so I had to learn this the hard way through personal experience, but I eventually 
got to the point where I was I was writing my second book, uh, You Are a Business, and I was doing a lot of research on entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And I was seeing more and more that people who try to get into business, they, they tend to, to fall right in line with the, the SBA statistic that like in the first five years, all new businesses will fail and go bankrupt. But people who persevere through failures will succeed. So maybe the business will fail, but it's the person that will succeed I love that. Uh, later on. And, and yeah, if you're interested, it's, that's also, uh, you are, our business is on Amazon as well. Um, yes. So we're going to list your podcast address and how to find your books in the show notes. So oh, great. you can pay attention to that and stay tuned for my wrap up. You're listening to this. I, you know, like to end it with a little bit of summary. So I know that my listeners have gotten so much inspiration and ideas, and maybe their heads are exploding from <laughs> new thoughts. Uh, if you're in your car, be careful if there's an explosion. <laughs> so thank you. And the ways to reach Tom and his podcast and his books are going to be in the show notes, or I'm sure you can just Google him. So Thanks a million, Tom. I know people are going to find this so, so valuable. Yes. Thank you, Lucy. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Talk to you later. And stay tuned all for the wrap-up. So here are some of the things that I pulled out of this conversation with Tom to give you a little wrap-up. So one thing I got out of this is there is really good money in real estate photography. Whether you want to enhance your income, you want to create a full-time business, if you do it right, it can be highly profitable and a really good service to the community. One of the ways, and this I think people can really take this in for their own businesses of any type, is the importance of getting in front of people. The way he markets his business mostly is by meeting either one-on-one -on -one or in groups and is sharing what he does and why. So think about, are there places that you can promote your business by getting in front of people in person? People like to work with people they like. And one of the best ways is to get away from the computer, off the phone, out of our cars, and get on handshake or even hugging basis in my case. Tend to, if you see me and you want a hug, it's always yours. <laughs> he also shared about how he automates his business. He set it up so that it's very streamlined and he personally has other people working for him. So he only needs to work a couple hours a day, probably if that at times, because everything is plug and play. And in something like this, where we're not creating fine art, we're creating a different kind of service, it, it's absolutely brilliant. So think about ways you can automate your business. And also, in any of our businesses, getting help from people. This is Lucy commenting here. Getting help with the things that are not what we're best at or that we don't want to do or we don't have time to do is really the way to be more financially successful and 
also when people are doing things they're better at, then the business in general will thrive more. I also really liked how he found the people who other people wanted to be like and marketed to them and then made sure that the, we'll call them wannabes, know who he is working for already. That can also be great in the portrait world or wedding world, both locations, let's say it's a wedding. If people know that we've already worked at some very high-end hotels, or if there are people within their community that they know of as somebody that is successful or always wants the best, and that you've worked for them, that goes a long way in getting work. And same if our work is prominently displayed in homes of people in communities that are well-known, then to me, I imagine if someone goes in a home and sees your work displayed beautifully in you know, somebody's home they respect and admire, there is a chance that they would say, gosh, if she likes Sally Smith's photography. Uh, I, I should check it out. So I thought that was a really great tip. And then I loved our conversation about, you know, he is someone that didn't grow up wanting to be a photographer. He wanted to have a successful business. And so he was willing to try and try and try and have things not go well more than once so that in this journey, he could eventually find something that is working really well, and that would be the business he has now. So we talked a little about how fear can just hold us back. You know, fear of failure and not taking action is actually, you know, we didn't really say it like this, but I'll just say it. it's, it's a kind of failure in itself to be afraid to invest in education, for example, or, you know, with me, people afraid to invest in coaching or other kinds of programs because they're afraid they'll lose money, but then the potential of what you lose by not taking that risk is high. So get out there, do what scares you, and you will get richly rewarded. <laughs> so that's it for now. And um, I adore you all. If I could go give you a great big hug, I would. And so consider yourself virtually hugged and thanked. And again, thank you so, so much for subscribing and reviewing and sharing this with your friends. I know that this podcast is getting out there into the world, and I'm hoping that more and more people can benefit from the wisdom of my amazing guests and my own experience. So have a great, 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 great whatever month it is for you when you're listening to this. Bye now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.